0: Oh, that was my fault. Sorry. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? God is good, isn't he? Listen, we're, we're breathing. Praise God. We're up. We're here. Praise God. This is a good day to be in his house, to be with his people, and to be talking about something that is absolutely beautiful, and that is the freedom that God gives us in Jesus. Uh, I've told you this before about myself, Uh, I love stories, I I love them, and I love history. I watch the History Channel probably more than anything else, I just, I love history and I love stories, therefore I love movies about stories from history, right? So that's just one of my things, I really enjoy um, those things. There's recently been a movie that came out called Harriet, it's about uh, Harriet Tubman, you're familiar with that name. Of course, we, we know that she's the heroine of uh, kind of the Civil War era. She uh, was a slave. She escaped slavery. I think we have a picture of her. Yeah, her real name was Araminta Ross. She went by Minty. But when she got her freedom, she changed her name to her mother's name, which was Harriet, and to her husband's name, which was Tubman. And so she, she, she escaped, for one thing, uh, traveling almost 100 miles from Maryland to Pennsylvania for her freedom. But she didn't just stop there. Then she, uh, after a while, turned around and went to rescue others in slavery. She ends up rescuing 70 people over 13 different missions back and forth that 100-mile journey. Amazing, amazing story. Yesterday I went and kind of in a research mode and, and went to watch the movie. I was by myself in the theater, which was good because I, I cried through the whole thing. Um, and theaters, when you're alone, are kind of creepy, by the way. That I I wouldn't suggest that. But um, it, was a, it was a great movie. One of the things I was going to tell you a little bit about her story, one of the things that the movie didn't cover is, I think, one of the things that kind of made her who she is, which is as a young girl, little girl, she saw her mother her whole family were slaves she saw her mother stand up to a slave owner he, he tried to barge into their, where they lived and he was going to take her little baby she had a little, her mother had a little baby and the little boy's name was Moses and he was going to take the little baby and uh, Harriet saw her mother stand up to the slave owner and said if you come in this house I'm going to split your head wide open and the slave owner thought twice about entering the home He didn't go in, didn't sell the child. Well, Harriet's seeing this as a little girl, and she thinks, whoa, wait a minute. You mean we can stand up to things that are wrong? What, you mean we we can actually believe in things and make a difference, right? You mean there are some things in life that are so valuable we have to stand and fight for them? She learned that as a young girl. And I believe it affected her and influenced her as she became a woman and made such an incredible difference in the world, especially in this world, and to her family. Uh, Over those 13 different missions, going back and forth from Maryland to Pennsylvania, she earned a nickname of her little brother, but it was not about her little brother, Moses. It was about the deliverer, right, of the Jews. She was delivering people. In fact, they didn't even know it was a woman. They sure didn't know that it was a former slave. Little five-foot little lady who was a giant. She even became the first woman to lead an armed assault in the Civil War. And she led 150 black soldiers to free 750 slaves. Amazing. Amazing what she did. I love this story and this quote from her when she first initially crossed the line of freedom into Pennsylvania. This is what she said She said, When I found I had crossed the line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees and over the fields and I felt like I was in heaven. You know what I love about that quote is Harriet was trying to describe what it feels like to be free. The truth is there's not one of us in this place that can understand what she felt in that moment because we haven't haven't had those shackles. We haven't had that prison. We haven't had that life. All of us have lived a very blessed life compared to many around the world. But when she crossed that line, she tried to describe what it feels like to be free. She was a hero. She was an amazing woman. After she was freed, the rest of her life, she lived to bring freedom to those enslaved. She was a liberator. When I was thinking about her this week and doing some research on her, couldn't help but think of the fact that she borrowed her story as a liberator from the greatest liberator, Jesus Christ. She was a believer. She was a believer. She prayed a lot. There was a story where she said she was praying for her slave owner, praying that his heart would change. And Lord, if, if his heart doesn't change, then take him out of the picture. And a week later, the man died. And that's one of the reasons when Uh, The widow of this man realized that she couldn't afford to keep all the slaves. Minty decided uh, they're going to sell our whole family. We're going to be all over the South. We're not going to be together anymore. I'm going to escape and try and save my family. So this is an incredible story. Of course, Jesus, the greatest liberator who gives us freedom, you know, he he longs for us to be free, free from sin, free from the law, free from our our own need to try and serve ourselves instead freedom to love and serve other people we're going to talk about that a little bit today but the rest of her life she spent serving people last week we talked about Paul's message and at the end of his message you can kind of sense the end of chapter four you're going to feel it today in chapter five Paul's beginning to make some summary statements you know, in other words, I've, been, I've given you four chapters of this long letter. I've, I've told stories, I've given examples, and now you're going to begin to hear him make up some summary statements, repeating some of the things he said, trying to be as clear as possible to get his message across. So last week, he makes this plea to the believers in Galatia choose a family of freedom, choose a family represented by Sarah and Isaac, and, and freedom and promise, salvation, right? Don't, don't be associated with the family of law and, and Hagar and Ishmael and bondage and slavery. We are children of the promise. He says in Galatians 4.31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. And of course, when he wrote this letter, there was no divisions in chapters and verses. It would have just flow, flowed right through. Uh, so brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. God wants us to be free. And today we're going to talk about what that means, but I want us to pray for our time together. Can we pray? Lord, how we love you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. God, thank you for the incredible incredible privilege we have to open your word, to learn from it, to make adjustments in our own hearts and our own lives, to be who you want us to be based on that word. God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, direct us today. Open our hearts, open our minds, give us courage to be obedient to you, Lord. Help us to understand what it truly means to be free, to live a life of freedom in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to decrease, that you would increase in this message. God, that you would lead us to all truth by your spirit. We love you so much. Thank you for this time. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to break down for us this text, and we're going to go all the way through, through verse 15 in Galatians 5, 1 through 15. Um, and I'm going to talk about five different main themes, okay, five different points. And I didn't put them on your card. I just put verse 1 on your card, but you can write them down. Here's the first point of the first verse. i want to read it again. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Here's the first point. Freedom is a gift, and we have to protect it. Freedom is a gift. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You know, I read this phrase a long time in my uh, discipleship as a young believer, and it always kind of confused me. Like, what? What is... Like, this seems a little confusing to me, but the truth is it's not confusing at all. It's actually very, very simple, right? Look at it at the most simple way you can. It is for freedom that God has given you freedom so that you can be free. He has freed you to be free. In other words, the noun and the verb are freedom. The means and the end are freedom. It is God's desire that we live a life and we live in an environment of freedom. I like the way the message puts uh, this phrase in verse, in verse 1. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. That's, a, that's one of the purposes for freedom, so that we can actually live in freedom, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I have kids, and at this time of year, they're starting to make their list, you know, for Christmas. It's all about Christmas lists. They're all trying to think about what they want and all that stuff, and it, we love this time of year. It's so much fun. We just, we enjoy all the aspects of it. Everything you can imagine, we, we engage in most of the fun stuff of Christmas. But they start making their list of things that they want for Christmas. And you know what? Can I, can I just speak to you from a daddy's heart? I love to give them gifts. I love it. I love it. You know why? Because I love to watch them enjoy the thing they wanted or the thing that they needed or whatever the case may be. I love to watch them just full uh, of joy. It's really simple. As a daddy, I love to see them enjoy good things. In the same way, God is a good father. He loves to give his kids good gifts. And one of the greatest gifts that he's given us is freedom. He loves for us to enjoy this environment of freedom. And he enjoys watching us enjoy. It's the same sort of thing. In fact, that's where I think we get it from. He knows what's best for our lives. He wants what's best for our lives. And that environment is an environment of freedom that he wants to give us. So freedom is one of the reasons he set us free, right? To live a free life. But one of the things I see about this sentence is that it's possible to lose it. That there's something that Paul is saying is left up to us to do, to protect it. We have a role in this verse, evidently, right? He's gonna give us two specific things for us to pay attention to to protect freedom in our lives. Two things, this is what they are. Stand firm and don't submit again to slavery, right? Stand firm and don't submit. Now, the, the other day we got our guys together for our fight night and we were talking about, this is the first one we, when we met, we talked about a fight. If you ever learn how to fight, <clears throat> the first thing you do is not necessarily learn how to hold your hands. When you think of a fight, you go, okay, you get your hands ready. That's not the first thing you do. This is not as important as your feet. Your feet are the most important thing in a fight. You gotta have your feet ready. You gotta have a sure foundation. You gotta know your good footing and be ready, prepared. That's one of the things Paul is saying is be ready, have a good foundation. Be, be ready with your, with, uh, for this fight that's coming. He says, stand firm, uh, you know, be resolute, be determined. But what's interesting is, as I looked into this word, it's not something we do alone. The Greek literally means this, it's a military word that, that means keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, which you would expect all those. But lastly, it's sticking together. When I saw that, I went, whoa, wait a minute. So when Paul's saying stand firm, he's not saying it just to Drew, stand firm, Drew, No. It is a communal command, right? It's something done in community. So how do we, we have freedom. How do we protect it? We stand firm, and we do that together. Well, Paul has written many things in different letters about standing firm. I wanna take a look at a few of them. Look here, First Corinthians 16, 13. Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in faith, act like men. So he's speaking to a group, right? Be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Men, listen, we can actually, uh, we can, we can be strong and act in love. Isn't that a good verse to remember, guys? But this is spoken to a group of men, to a group of people, to a church, not to an individual. The expectation is you stand firm together. Philippians 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of what you're, uh, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. When we stand firm, h- how do you stand side by side by yourself, you don't. You gotta have other people around you, right? How, you, how can you be in one spirit? By, no, it's talking about a communal effect. Standing firm is done with other people. It's done in community. Philippians four, verse one says this, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Therefore, my brothers, right? So standing firm is the first action that Paul has given us to protect freedom. It's something that we have to be watchful, we have to be ready, we have to be resolute, but we don't do it alone. We do it in community. We do it with people around us. We walk life with people around us. It's called the church. Now, I'm going to push pause on the message, and I'm going to step into a commercial real quick. And, just, and I want you to see the seriousness in my heart right now. This is the reason we have city groups. This is the purpose for city groups. We are called to walk life together, to stand firm together, to encourage one another in the faith, right? To spur one another on, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, to love and good deeds, this is the purpose of doing life together if you're not in a city group please please get in one because it is not god's will for any christian to be outside of community it's not his intent his purpose for us to grow in life and grace together in knowledge of jesus is done together it cannot be done alone city group leaders are you shepherding those people are you walking with those people are you loving those people are you connecting This this is the role and this is the purpose of our city groups. You can't even be uh, connected to our church unless you're a part of a city group, right? We want, it's that serious to us. We believe believers need to be connected in community. And now we see some biblical proof to standing firm together. And then he, he mentions the second instruction. He says, don't submit again to slavery. Don't submit again to slavery. Now I don't know about you. I'm not. A, I don't watch a lot of sports. I'm not a big football fan. I'm not a big basketball fan. I'll watch, you know, championship games and stuff. But one thing that I actually do like to watch is UFC fighting. Um, it's it's a sport kind of that combines boxing, wrestling, martial arts. All it's it's interesting. And uh, one of the things that you can do to win is submit your opponent. So if you're if you're fighting a guy and he takes your arm and begins to bend it in such a way that it feels like it's about to break. Um, That's when you go, I I quit, (laughs) right? That's when you tap on his leg or your leg or the mat and you say, I'm done. Stop, stop. Right. Or there's a, there's a choke, different chokeholds that they can do to you and you actually lose oxygen and pass out. Well, the game, you know, game's over at that point. Um, You've been submitted. The point is when I see this word from Paul saying, don't submit again, what I'm hearing him say is don't be under somebody's control. Don't let somebody control your life to where you can't do anything but what they want you to do, understand? It's our, it's God's plan and, and, and our need that we let he, he be the only one we're under that, that's controlling us. No person, no theology. Uh, he says this word again, I think is interesting. Don't submit again. So had the Galatians been under this, slavery of law and circumcision before? No. They hadn't been under the law of this circumcision and and, uh, the law of the Jews before, but they had been under, you might remember Paul Stevens preaching about the elementary basic principles of of the world. Remember that? They had been under that slavery. See, they were godless, heathen people, and they were worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars. Paul says that's slavery to sinfulness. And what happens is sometimes people leave this life of sinfulness, and they have this pendulumic swing over to a life of rule following, uh, legalism, and judgmental spirit, right? It happens so often. People leave a, a great life of sin, great in the sense of big life of sin, and they get over, and they're super judgmental, and they just, everybody's worse than me, and Paul's saying, listen, you've been under slavery before, the slavery of sin. Don't come now under the slavery of the law, right? That's what he's saying. Don't don't be enslaved again under the yoke of slavery as you were in those basic elementary principles of the world. Second point this morning is going to come from verses 2 to 6. I want us to look at it. Paul says a real definitive start here. He says, look, pay attention, right? Look, I, Paul, say to you, That if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. (laughs) Paul is going to make sure we understand what he means, right? Like I said, he's given this whole letter to give examples, to give connection to Abraham, uh, to to show an allegory between Sarah and and Hagar. He's done everything he can to give examples and and try to help people understand. But now he's getting down to the end of the letter, basically, and he's going, all right, listen, right? Look, pay attention. If you haven't understood that so far, understand this. I wanna say it as clearly as I can. But then he says, I, Paul. Now, what does he say in there? Two things. Remember, it's me, Paul, who came to you and shared Jesus with you in the first place. You can trust me. You can know that I'm the one that, that told you about this beautiful gospel in the first place. The second thing is, remember what I told you back in chapter 2, chapter 1, and that is that I'm an apostle of Jesus himself. You can trust me as a friend, but you can also trust me as an authority in God's word, as an apostle of Jesus. Look, pay attention. Pay attention. I, Paul, I want to tell you something. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He says, I testify again. I'm telling you again, the same thing I've been saying. To every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You remember back in chapter 3, Paul basically said, if you you try and keep the law, you got to keep all the law. Remember that? And then he said, And when you try and keep the law, you're going to figure out that you can't keep the law. And whoever tries that is what? Say the word cursed. Remember that? If you try and live by the law, you'll be cursed. But praise God, Jesus came and became a curse for us. So Paul's reiterating some of these lessons he's already given, he's summarizing some of his statements. He says, if you accept circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law. The same thing I just mentioned in chapter 3. Then he uses this phrase. It's a very serious phrase. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Very serious phrase. Let me me show you what I think Paul's trying to say here. See, when when we come to Jesus to be saved... We're saying, I can't do it. I can't keep the law. I need a savior. I can't do it. I submit, I surrender to your control. But when we follow circumcision and the justification of our works, we're saying, I can do it. You see the difference? It's not possible to say to God, God, I can't do it. I need a savior. And also say, but I can I can also do it does that make sense you can't take both roads it's one or the other that's exactly what Paul's saying you can't you can't choose both you have to pick one or the other and then he uses this phrase that's a pretty scary phrase you've fallen from grace now I don't believe Paul is saying that you lose your salvation here. he's spoken to these brothers as brothers often He's spoken to them as believers in Jesus often. But I do think that what he's saying is when you make this choice to choose your way of doing things, the way you're you're in control. You're gonna work for your salvation, you're gonna work for your sanctification. What you do is you remove yourself from growth in Christ. You remove yourself from blessings in Jesus. You you become estranged to God in essence, a stranger. And I I began to think about that and how many people came to my mind and I thought, I know that guy, I know some people who've done that. They know the Lord, they know right and wrong, and yet they've, they've just almost backed out of relationship and ways with God, in obedience to God, doing things their way. Doesn't mean they've lost their salvation, but things don't seem right in their life. They seem estranged from God. They don't seem like they're being blessed by God in ways. It's a serious phrase, no matter how you look at it. Then Paul's gonna ask us, uh, let's see here, let's go through, uh, then Paul's gonna take us to verse five here. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is what he's saying here. He's saying, when you choose the path and life of works, I want you to see that you're choosing to strive to gain God's approval. You're striving, you're trying to make it happen. But then he places himself in this conversation. In the sentence, it says, But we, right? But we wait. We we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. When we wait on God, when we wait on that righteousness, it means, listen, one day we're going to see Jesus. One day we're going to be in heaven. One day we're going to look around at, at the glory of heaven. And right now we have to wait. We don't strive to earn that relationship. We have to wait. We have to wait. We have to trust that the work has been done in the finished work of Jesus, right? And so we step back, and Lord, we wait. And Paul says it's neither circumcision or uncircumcision that counts for anything. In other words, neither moral efforts or moral failure, neither uh, success or failure. It doesn't change your status with God. Neither religion or, or, or lack of religion changes your standing with God. It's already been made certain through the finished work of Jesus. You know what I love, Uh, Keller mentioned this. As believers, when we we truly rest in the work of Jesus, we don't have to have big highs and big lows. That's such a blessing to me. Let me me show you what I mean. God gives us a balance of grace. So when it feels like we have a victory and we're growing, we don't take credit for it because it's Christ in us, it's not us, right? And when we make a mistake, it's not like it just bottoms out our lives because Christ has already paid the price for us. So it means we don't need to stay down there and wallow in our sin. No, through his spirit, he's given us the power, right, to, to be obedient, to love him. And so he gives us an even life. We don't have to have huge highs and huge lows in the grace of Jesus. He covers us. He says here, if you have faith in Christ, uh, it's gonna be shown through love, right? But only faith working through love. Do people see Jesus through your life? We can all say a bunch of things about what we believe, but if Christ is in us, it will be expressed through the love that we have for other people. Verse seven, Paul's gonna ask us here, what happened (laughs) what happened to you You you're doing so great what happened here's the first point just in case you're taking notes and I haven't mentioned them the first one is uh freedom is a gift protect it the second one is works versus faith and the third one is test your teachers this is what he says in verse seven you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, listen, from the beginning of the book of Galatians, I told you this is a fiery book, right? This is what they say in, the, in theological worlds as a polemic. This is, this is, a, this is a book uh, uh, of anger. This is a book of um, frustration. And it has come out from verse 1 of chapter 1. No more so than I think here in chapter 5 in the first 15 verses. Test your teachers. What Paul is saying here is people influence our lives. You're watching things on television, you're listening to podcasts, you're reading books, you're reading magazine articles, you're listening to music. There are influencers in every one of our lives. Be careful with who influences your heart. Be careful with who influences your mind, your your theology, what you say you believe. Don't let it be a person, let it be the Word of God, right? Let it be his truth, not what somebody thinks about the truth. Let it be the truth of the Word of God. We have to be so careful, church. Cautious with those who are influencing us. Paul's talking about false teachers here. And uh, I want to just go down very simply through these verses and give you some of these warnings. Paul's giving us five warnings, all right? Verse 7, let's read it. It says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Here's the first warning. False teachers will hinder you from obeying the truth. Is there somebody in your life that somehow has moved you away from obedience to God? Is there an author, is there a belief system? Is there something that's caused you to stop being obedient to Christ and pull back uh, and do your own thing? If that has happened, that is a false teacher. Beware, Paul's giving us this caution, caution. If somebody in any form or fashion moves you from obedience to Jesus away from him, that is not God and it's not good. Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commands. It is his desire, it is his heart, that we're obedient to his commands. And if somebody moves you from obedience, that's a false teacher. Let's look at the next one, verse 8. He says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. If somebody has moved you away from obedience of God, whoever's persuaded you, that is not God. Do you you want a, a, a test filter for the books you're reading? For the podcast you're listening to, for the music you hear, for the movies you see, for whatever influence is going on, does it move you from obedience? Because if it does, it's not from God. We have to be so very careful. He makes it very clear. That is not the one who calls you. Some of us go, well, yeah, but they just have a different take. They believe most of the Bible. They just don't believe some of these things. There's just a few things that are different. No. Be careful. It's not from God. Number three. Verse 9 says this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, that's like a baking reference, and I like food. Uh, Occasionally, I like to to cook. And I've done the thing where you put in the yeast or whatever. And is it possible to put in yeast? I'm asking ladies, is it possible to put in yeast into something like you're making bread or whatever, and then like an hour later go, hmm, let me take the yeast out? Is that possible? (laughs) No, it's in, isn't it? It's it's done for, it's not like you can go, oh yeah, I see it, let me pull that yeast out, now the yeast is out. No, the yeast is in it all. You gotta be so careful with what is influencing because what is influencing you is gonna influence your husband or your wife. It's gonna influence how you train and disciple your children. It's gonna influence your friends and your community, and guess what, it's gonna influence your church. False teachers can infect your church your family, your heart, your life. We have to be careful. Here's the fourth thing in verse 10. It says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Now, what's interesting is Paul's saying, listen, I'm, I feel confident that you're going to do the right thing. Paul's saying, I was with you in Galatia. I was with you in these, in these homes, these churches, buildings, communities. I know you know Jesus, and I'm confident you're going to make the right decision. But he also says this. He says, listen, the people who have uh, affected you, the people who are doing this, causing this scandalous stuff, the people that are doing these things, they are going to pay a penalty. They will be punished. You remember what he said? He even put his own name in the category, He said, if I or anybody else preaches to you a gospel different than what was originally preached to you, anathema, that means they should be cursed and damned to hell, right? That's what he said. He even put his own name. If I or anybody with me or anyone preaches a different gospel to you, let them be cursed. And so he's saying this, he's ramping this up again and saying, whoever does this to you, teaches these things to you that is false, they will be punished. Number five, verse 11, he says this. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. See, evidently, Paul had been accused of, at times, evidently, preaching a similar message to the Judaizers. You can just hear the Judaizers saying, well, Paul's circumcised, right? He, he grew up a Jew. He still goes to, to you know, to Saturday meetings and Saturday, he still goes to to temple because that's the first place he would go, right? To make and so you can see them kind of trying to change his message. And Paul says, "Listen, no, I want you to hear me saying, I, I, I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified on a cross, and that is our only hope for paying for the penalty of our sin. Not what I can do, not what I bring, not the work that I that I think I'm doing, my own righteousness." He said, if I preached both, number one, they wouldn't persecute me. I'd be on their team, right? And number two, the cross would have no power. There'd be no offense to it if I preached both. It makes no sense. I am persecuted because I preached the cross, crucified. Number five is they criticize teachers of the truth. And that's something that's going on. You talk about people today that that, uh, are questionable When it comes to influencers, many of them criticize other believers and other speakers and teachers of the truth. Then there's this verse here. It's an interesting verse. Verse 12. Paul's going to show us his anger. But not just his anger. He's going to show us also his love for the Galatians. Look what he says. It says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Judaizers, right? Who keep talking about circumcision? Paul's literally saying, "Listen, they want to circumcise you. They want to do. I, what I wish they would do. It, it, don't stop there. Cut everything off. Emasculate yourself. Go all the way." Literally, what Paul is saying is, they would be better off dead. Is what he's trying to say. Have you ever wondered, reading Paul, all these books, all these letters, and and thought, is Paul real? I mean, does he ever make mistakes? Does he ever get angry? Does he ever say something maybe was a little edgy? Right? This is it. It's comforting in a way because I do that. I make mistakes. I get hot-headed. But I think what Paul wants us to see here is he loves the Galatians. It's kind of like saying somebody would hurt my child. Don't do that. It's going to be trouble for you. I know how to stand when I fight, right? That's the thing. When when somebody talks about hurting your child, man, are you kidding? That's what Paul feels. It's this parental desire to protect. It's this parental desire to, to, uh, you don't do that to those that I love. Paul is showing how much he loves Galatians. Then he's going to show us another purpose for freedom. The first purpose of freedom, to live in freedom, to be free. Here's the next purpose in freedom, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I wondered this. How many people do you think are in the world... That when, you think, when they think of freedom, they think it means I can do anything I want to do, go anywhere I want to go, do anything I want to do with whoever I want to do it with, whenever and wherever, right? I've defined freedom that way in my life before. But the Bible says that is actually bondage. To live that way in a life of sin, doing whatever you have, no, no uh, conditions, no accountability, that's actually bondage, the Bible says, Paul's trying to flip our understanding of what freedom really is. Freedom is not about us. Freedom is not self-serving in any way. Right? Look what it says. I've called you to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for yourself. It's actually to be used for other people. Number four is freedom to serve. Notice the very first thing of this, this text in verse 13. He says, for you were called To freedom. There's something about a calling that's that's different. It's 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 not the standard. It's this. It's bigger. You see, I have a have a job. My job is to pastor this church. But can I just tell you, it's not a job. I think about what I'm doing right now, speaking to you right now. This is not my job. This is my calling. This was not my bucket list item. I can't wait one day to have the job of pastoring this church. This was me saying, God, you have called me to this place for such a time as this, and I wanna be obedient to your calling. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my preferences. It's about trying to be obedient to God's call in my life, that in that freedom, now I can serve you. The idea of calling is that there's something going on there's a purpose for your life that's bigger than your life." Did you hear that? There's a purpose for your life that's bigger than you. It's a calling. And Paul says to the churches in Galatia, you've been called to freedom, not for you to use freedom for yourself as an opportunity for the flesh, like the world thinks freedom is. No, freedom is for serving other people. He uses this phrase, as an opportunity for the flesh, which is another really interesting word study in the Greek. Opportunity for the flesh in the Greek is a word picture. It's a picture of a military installation. So I'll give you an example. So if the United States is having trouble with North Korea or concerned about North Korea, somewhere in a reachable vicinity, the United States is gonna put a base, right? And it's gonna be easier for the United States to deal with a problem than from where we are here. That is the word picture for an opportunity uh, for the flesh that Paul gives here. In other words, when you have a military position that gives you the best position to take care of business if something happens, that's what Paul's saying. Don't create a position for yourself that you can serve yourself. Don't treat freedom like it's a position for you to do whatever you want. Does that make sense? It's not for you, it's for others. In fact, it's to serve other people. He says, uh, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in verse 14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? Right? He borrowed that from who? Jesus. Matthew 22, the great commandment. One of the Pharisees comes to Jesus and says, master, tell me what's the most important of the laws, thinking he's going to trick him up because there's 613 laws. How's he going to answer this one? 613 laws. We got him now. And Jesus said, well, actually, all the law and the prophets, all 613 of those things hang on to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. All of those laws combine, hang on, depend upon those two. What's interesting to me about this, about, about Paul saying this, is Paul's now bringing the law full circle, right? He's he's been saying we don't live under the law. We don't try to keep up with the law because we can't. We would be cursed. But watch this. But freedom that he gives us in Christ gives us the ability to serve one another. And when we love one another, guess what we do? We fulfill the law. Isn't that interesting? Don't live under it. But when you have the freedom to serve one another, you have the ability to fulfill the law. Serve Christ in fulfilling the law and loving one another. But then Paul's going to do something interesting, and I, and I want to speak this to us with sincerity and, and seriousness. Paul's going to use this example of freedom of serving one another as a contrast of not using freedom to wound one another. Right? He's going to use it as a contrast. Don't tear one another down. Verse 15, look what he says in our last verse. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's gonna give us a warning about wounds. Wounds that we have that sometimes all of a sudden affect other people and, we, and then we wound them. We use our freedom to love and serve one another. It's the exact opposite of wounding. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. I want you also to also notice the progressive nature that Paul uses here. It he says if you bite, right? Bite is like a small thing. It's just little things, little words, little attitudes, little actions, little feelings. Well, then he steps it up a notch. Don't just, but when we don't just bite, but we devour, it just gets, gets bigger. Well, then if we, if we get that far and we haven't dealt with it, then sometimes we can consume. Remember what Jesus said when he was talking about relationships and he said, if you have hate, In your heart, you've committed murder against somebody. You remember that? Can I I just, can I say to us, church, listen. Everybody look right here for a second. If you have anger or hurt or disappointment, some wound or sadness in your heart or in your soul that has gone unchecked and uncommunicated, Can I encourage you to communicate with the one who has hurt you or the one whom you've hurt? Can I encourage you to take the awkward step of a conversation, to not bite anymore, to not devour anymore, and for goodness sake, don't consume someone and lose a relationship altogether. We have to be so careful, church. I prayed about this all this week for us as a church. We have to be so careful that these little small dissensions, these little small controversies and arguments and broken relationships, they they don't slowly eat away at the unity of not only of our relationship, but the unity of our church. Can I just say this to us as a family? Can we live in grace-filled, apology-giving, forgiveness-centered relationships, please? Can we? I want to say it again because I want you to feel the seriousness of it. Can we live in grace-filled, apology-giving, forgiveness-centered relationships? Can we do that? We can't hold grudges. Scripture says keep no record of wrongs. Deal with your feelings that you hold in your heart. Don't let this one little thing grow toxic and it just gets worse and then you begin to create narratives against people. Well, they're probably doing this and they're probably thinking this and that's probably who they are. That's a sin. Repent and go have a conversation for Pete's sake, please. Is it gonna be a hard conversation? Yep. Is it gonna be awkward? Yep. Are you gonna maybe cry or then maybe cry? Maybe. Can you save a relationship? Yeah. Can you save a church? Yeah. It's so important, friends. I want to encourage you. I want to admonish you to be a Matthew 18 church. Jesus said when a brother hurts you when, you, when there's a problem, go to that brother. And yet what do we do? We go, we go this way. Uh, did you hear what he did? Well, I'm frustrated with so-and-so. That's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, go to that, brother. Go to that, sister. Have a conversation. Don't bite. Don't let it progress. Don't devour. Don't consume one another. I'm going to wrap up this morning as we finish. Do you have freedom in your life? Do you feel like you have freedom? Do you live in such a way that you you enjoy this freedom that Christ has given you? Do you have people standing around you, holding you accountable, loving you, encouraging you? you and helping you stand firm protecting the freedom that we have in christ do you have that not just i go to a bible study that's not what i'm asking you do you have people that are willing to speak truth to you do you have people that are willing to hold you accountable and help you help you up when you have a need mend your wounds when you're broken is God in control of your life or is some other theology, some other mindset that is outside the truth of God's word understand who it's from and understand the danger in not testing your teachers know that Christ's work on the cross is finished and that in that alone we trust in that alone we hope not in what we can do, not in rule following, not in some sort of works that we do It's from that place of grace, trusting Him, knowing that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, that now we can serve in freedom one another. Is there anybody in your life that's moving you away from obedience? If they are, they're not from God, and you need to get them out of your life. And then we use freedom to serve one another. i just ask this question as we close. The team can go ahead and come on up. Listen. Are there relationships in your life that you need to deal with? Are there relationships in your life that that we need to deal with? You know, um, Jesus, when he speaks about this, he speaks about it in a very uh, immediate sort of sense. Right, Ephesians, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, that means today, right? That's what he's trying to say. Don't let the sun, the sun shining today, And if the sun goes down, it's too long for me to not deal with some broken thing in my heart, in my life, in a relationship. Is there a relationship that you need to mend? Jesus said, if you come to the altar and you realize somebody's got something against you that you need to make right, he says, lay down your gift and go make it right. Friends, I'm so thankful for freedom that freedom to not serve me, not to serve my needs, not to indulge the flesh, but to serve you, to love one another, to walk in grace and freedom together. What are we gonna do with it? How are we gonna protect it? I wanna close with a quote from commentator John Stott and then I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna have a time of prayer and, and song in the altar. This is what he says. He says it is freedom not to indulge the flesh, that's freedom, but to control the flesh, that's freedom. It's freedom not to exploit your neighbor, but to serve our neighbor. It's freedom not to disregard the law, but to fulfill the law. Everyone who has been truly set free by Jesus Christ expresses his liberty or his freedom through these ways, first in self-control next in loving service of his neighbor, and thirdly, in obedience to the law of his God. Can I ask you again, are you free? Are you free? Because listen, it's, it's a fight <laughs> to keep freedom in your heart and life. Christ gives it to us, but we have to fight to keep it. It's exactly what Paul was seeing in the Galatians. He saw them free. He saw them saved. He saw them believing the gospel and then losing their freedom. And it's the very reason that he wrote the book of Galatians. Don't lose your freedom. Fight for it. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day and your goodness. Thank you for this word that you've given us. God, I pray that you would use this truth, these words, these ideas that Paul has expressed to the Galatians. Just use it in our lives. God, remind us that we need to trust you. God, remind us we need people in our lives. Remind us, Lord, to love and not bite each other, to to care for and communicate, even in difficult moments, Lord, instead of speaking things we shouldn't, instead of being silent and not saying anything, God, you've called us to reconciliation. You've called us to life in you. You've called us to forgiveness. Lord, would you do that in us? God, if there's somebody here this morning in this room, in this service, maybe watching online that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, would you just convict their heart? Maybe they would say, it does, I don't feel free. I've been living how I want to. I've been living, doing whatever I want to do, however I want to. And, and you're right, it's not freedom, it's slavery. The guilt is killing me. They can come today and be freed from that Guilt. Be freed from that shame, not because they're coming, not because they're doing something, but because, Jesus, you have already done the work on the cross and you offer for them freedom, real freedom. God, we we commit this time to you. Would you move in our hearts? If we as a team can minister to anybody in this altar, pray for anyone, we want to do that. But, Lord, there may be people that just need to pray. They just need to seek you. They they may need to go to somebody else in the room and make something right. God, may we drop our pretense. May we drop our arrogance. May we drop our egos, God, and fall on our knees and our faces before you, O holy, loving God, and say, Jesus, forgive us. Help me to be who you want me to be and not worry about approval of men, but to be obedient to you, O God. I want to live free. I want to live free. Lord, move in us today, I pray, by your spirit, give us the courage to follow you. In Jesus' precious and wonderful, powerful, beautiful name, amen. Will you stand and let's sing and pray if that's something that you need to do.